0: I am so pleased today to introduce our uh, guest speaker. He was here for a men's event yesterday. Guys, I heard it was a great time. Yeah? I uh, happened to be in Tulsa for a college weekend with my son and just got back last night, so I missed it. I was actually jealous that I couldn't be here because we've had Bill Perkins here before, and he always has something relevant, practical to say. He's a a man who used to pastor churches, and now he has dedicated his life to raising up strong men and strong families. Would you please welcome uh, Bill Perkins? Thanks, Ross. Well, it's great to be back at Quest. Um, It really is. In fact, I look around this room and I think, man, I can't wait to come back, because I'm just, you know, kind of look around because there's a lot more space in here than there's going to be next time I come back. I can already tell that, that there's really kind of a sense of excitement that's building here at Quest Church, and I'm pretty jazzed to actually be here with you guys. Um, now, I know that you're doing a series of questions, and so as I reflected on that, I thought, okay, what's a, a really good question? And the question that I came up with is, what do I do now that I married the wrong person? Is that not a legitimate question? I mean, think about it. Every single year, millions of people fall in love, right? Right? Excuse me, right? Every year, millions of people fall in love. And of those millions of people who fall in love, many of them get married. Now, what percentage of the people who get married do you think when they say I do, they think in the back of their mind, this ain't going to last? A zero percentage. In fact, you know, when they get married, they're absolutely convinced that theirs is the love of the ages. It is going to endure all the hardships that were ever created at any time. I, I remember when I met my, well, of course, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was my fiance, And I can honestly say to you, I never kissed my wife until we were married. Kissed my fiance quite a few times, but never my wife. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I was a student at the University of Texas in Austin. Yes, hook them horns, eh? Okay, I know we got a few. Are you a longhorned? Oh, hook them horns, we've got one. I know, I know there's a few Buckeyes around here. And uh, that's. you guys have a game this afternoon, don't you? Are you not aware of that? Yes, there's a game this afternoon. Anyway, I was a student at the University of Texas. I'd say the best word to describe me would be, five-letter word, loser. And um, she was this spectacularly beautiful cheerleader at Southern Methodist University, 200 miles north of uh, of Austin, where I was living. And I went up to Dallas to visit a friend and a mutual friend of ours, that is my future wife-to-be, Cindy and I, um, asked her if she would like to go out with this, you know, Christian guy from Austin. And so um, we went out and uh, it was like, you know, she opened the door and I looked at her and it was like, oh my gosh, she has no idea what a loser I am. (laughs) And uh, so after the date, I could tell that she liked me though. And so I asked her, I said, "Um, are you doing anything tomorrow night? She said, yeah, but I could break the date and i said well, what about the next day she said well i can break that one too and i said okay well, that's great then let's go out and so the second date which was the second day i knew her i told her that uh i said you know i i think you may be the girl that god has for me to marry and she kind of surprised me by saying well you know i, I think i may be and i've said that to a lot of girls but she was the only one that responded that way uh, i've kind of taken back it's funny whenever i tell people that she always goes bill that's not true that's not true and You know, of course, that's really not true. But I did say that to her. And, I mean, looking back on it, there is no way that I possibly could have had any idea, um, you know, what kind of a relationship we were going to have. Now, I wanted to get married, you know, pretty quickly. But there were a few people out there that didn't think things quite, you know, looked right, specifically her parents. And um, so we put the whole situation, the whole marriage thing off for a year and a half. And then, you know, finally, um, you know, finally we... On August 21st, we got married, 1971. It'll be 40 years in August. Amazing, eh? 40 years. How she's put up with me that long. It's astounding to me she could have put up with me that long, but nevertheless, she did. But, I don't know, um, things didn't go... Once we were married, things didn't work out exactly like we had anticipated. Of course, we went to pre-marriage counseling, although we knew we didn't need it. How could a couple that were in love as we were really need premarital counseling, Right? But we did do the premarital counseling thing, and then we got married. And it wasn't very long until she discovered that I had a few habits she didn't like. For instance, I was a waiter in an upscale restaurant, and after work, I'd stop off at a 7-Eleven and pick up a couple beers and come home and watch TV for a few hours till like 1 in the morning. And uh, that that kind of bothered her. And um, I remember one day we were having an argument about something or another, and she told me I was a lazy bum. Actually, she was half right. I am lazy. I'm not sure I was a bummer or not, but I was lazy. And then at that point, I said the meanest thing to her I've ever said in 40 years. She was taking birth control pills and created a lot of water retention. And I said, "Well, I may be, but at least I'm not a Porky Pig." Well, that didn't go over. Oh, <laughs> well, that didn't go over at all. And uh, things were bad. I'm telling you, we were having a meltdown in our relationship. And um, I uh, I reflected back on, um, you know, we hadn't been married maybe maybe three months before that, and we were at a wedding of a of a friend's, and she bumped into Peggy Collins, who had gotten married about the same time we were, and the wedding reception, Peggy said to Cindy, do you ever look at Bill and ask yourself, God, how am I going to stay with him the rest of my life? And and Cindy said to Peggy, do do you think that about Joe? Joe was her husband. And Peggy said, well, yeah, I do. And Cindy said, oh, I'm so relieved. Yeah, I think that about Bill all the time. (laughs) Well, here we were now. And this thing was melting down and I remember we were lying in bed and I asked her this question. I said, if you had to do all over it again, would you marry me again? And she said, no. Would you marry me again? And I said, no way. We were at a real point of despair in our relationship. It was that place in which we were asking ourselves that question, what do I do now that I've married the wrong person? Now, if you're a single person, you may be thinking, well, what's this got to do with me? Well, it has got plenty to do with you because if you ever do get married, you're going to discover one day you think you married the wrong person. And how do you answer the question, what do I do now? And so what I'd like to do is I just kind of look at a couple biblical principles as to what do we do when we reach that place where we think we've married the wrong person. And I'd like to say that the first thing that we need to do when we reach that place, some of you may be there today. Some of you have been there in the past, and if you're not there today and you haven't been in the past, I can assure you, you will be some point in the future. And really the first thing that we need to do is we need to cultivate the spiritual. In Matthew 22:36 36 through 39 we read, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? And what he did was he summarized the ten commandments because the first four deal with loving God, and the next six deal with loving our neighbor. And so what he said was, well, the commandments are summarized in these two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we look in the Scriptures, we find that... Uh, that uh Peter actually in Matthew 22 well excuse me i hit the wrong button there in Ephesians 6:25 to 28 Paul said husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word And to present to her and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that means that we who are husbands have a responsibility to love our wives sacrificially. He says that you might present that he might as Christ presented the church. Holy and spotless without without spot or wrinkle. The spot means an external blemish, a sin that is external. And wrinkle is a place where something can be hidden. In other words, the man has a responsibility to love his wife in such a way that he uses the Word of God to sanctify her, to cleanse her, to spiritually to encourage her and build her up in such a way that she's dealing with those external issues that she has that everybody can see. But also he's interacting with her spiritually in such a way that the hidden sins, the motives of the heart, the attitudes, those things that that are hidden away in the wrinkles of her heart, that they also are being ironed out and cleansed. In other words, Paul is saying the responsibility that husbands have, really, is a responsibility to spiritually nurture their wives. In, in, in order that, that as Christ will tr- present the church to the Father without spot or wrinkle, so we as husbands want to be able to love our wives in such a way that we can say to the Father, Lord, I've interacted with her in such a way as her spiritual leader that I can say to You, as a result of our marriage relationship, she's a godlier woman than she would have been. She's a godlier woman than she was. And it's so easy for the spiritual to take the back door it's so easy for the business of life to kind of crowd out what's most important and what's important is this spiritual angle of the relationship the spiritual side of the relationship i keep hitting the wrong button here i'm sorry you guys Um, And the way that we do that is we do it in three ways first we need to pray together now, i got to say that I have surveyed a lot of guys, and what I've discovered is that most men really, you know, they don't pray with their wives. And I'm not sure what all the reasons are that husbands and wives don't pray together, but, but I can kind of guess that, that in many instances, at least from the man's perspective, you know, oftentimes we as guys, we think of our wives as being more spiritual than we are. And since they're more spiritual than we are, we feel sometimes a little bit uncomfortable praying out loud with them because we just feel like in the spiritual arena that they are better than we are. Uh, another reason sometimes couples don't pray together is they don't know what to say. They just don't know what to say. What do I say when I pray? I'm, you know, my most benevolent Heavenly Father. Sue and I bow before Your omnipotent throne of grace. That's not the kind of um, tone that most men talk in, or women, uh, and it's not the kind of vocabulary that most of us think in in terms of carrying on a conversation, but what we learn from the Bible is prayer really is talking with God. It's, it's more like a child talking to a father than it is a, you know, a religious person trying to communicate with God with some sort of formal, archaic King James language. What if you just imagine that that God is your friend or your father, which he is? And what if you just say, you know, Father, it's Cindy and me, and we really want to bring before you the needs of our kids. We want to bring before you our financial needs. We want to bring before you our personal needs. We want to thank you for what you've given us. And we want to pray, God, that you would give us the grace to be able to encourage others. Just make it a minute or so. Make it a short prayer. It doesn't have to be long. I encourage guys to do this one night at a or one day at a men's event and I got an email from a guy just a few days later and he said, Bill, he said, every night I always pray with my kids when I put them to bed at night. But I've never prayed with my wife. And he said, last night I prayed with her and she cried. And here's part of the reason that women... Are touched when a man, their husband, prays with him. Men, women want to know you at your deepest level, at your soul level. And when a man and a woman pray together, they are in a very real sense, opening up the curtains of their soul and allowing that other person to look in. Survey data tells us that Christians are now just as likely to have marriages and in divorce as unbelievers. Survey data also tells us that Christian couples who pray together are far less likely to have a marriage relationship that ends in divorce, than couples who pray together. And I'm convinced that part of the reason is it creates a deeper, deeper level of intimacy. You've seen the illustration of the triangle. God is here and the man and the woman are here. And the closer they get to God, the closer they get to one another. You know, I'm not one of these guys that encourages to have these long, drawn-out prayers. I mean, frankly, you know, my wife and I, we try before we go to sleep at night to pray together. And oftentimes the prayer is short. But it's just us touching base with God before we go to bed at night. And then secondly, I really encourage couples to be in the Word of God together. We've never been disciplined enough to have daily devotions as a family or as a couple. You know, I never had the discipline to wake up at 4.30 in the morning and wake everyone up so we could sit at the breakfast table at 5 o'clock in the morning and study the Bible. And you know, I applaud people that can do that or can do it any other time of the day. I just never had the personal discipline to do that. I I really didn't. But what I think is important is that I as a man be in the Word of God, that I be reading the Bible and that God be speaking to me through the Bible and that I be in the process of applying the Bible to my life and that my wife be doing the same thing and that we share with one another what God is teaching with us as we interact with the Word of God. Now ladies, I can tell you, your husband may be a little uncomfortable you say, what's God teaching you lately? He go, I, don't know, I don't know what's He teaching you. You, you. In other words, it needs to be natural and spontaneous. But we need to be people who are getting in the word because it develops and strengthens the spiritual side of the marriage relationship. And we need to be connecting with other believers. What, 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 what's happening here at Quest in terms of these community groups, growth groups, small groups, is absolutely essential, not only in terms of your personal development, but your relationship as a couple. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews don't forsake getting together as is the habit of some. He's talking about believers. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know the kinds of difficulties that you have in your life? The financial difficulties? The relational difficulties? If you've got kids, you know the challenges that you got with your kids? Listen, every person in this room has got similar challenges or they've had similar challenges, or they will have similar challenges. And it's extremely encouraging and helpful to a couple to be in relationship with other couples so that when they go through hard times, they've got couples to encourage and support them and pray for them. And also so that when other couples are going through hardship, you can rally around them and provide them support and encouragement. When you think you've married the wrong person, cultivate the spiritual side of the relationship. Pray together. Read the Word. Connect with other believers. Cultivate the spiritual side of your marriage relationship. And then, you know, husbands, we need to cultivate love. You know, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. The idea is, I put my wife before me. I sacrifice of myself in order to put her needs before my needs. Now, you know... The biggest problem that we had in our marriage relationship, my biggest problem was not Cindy, and her biggest problem was not me. My biggest problem was me, and her biggest problem was herself. Because think about it, when you're single, and you got some kind of a problem, a weakness, a blind spot, and someone points it out to you and you don't like it, you can just walk away. You know, you can just kind of disassociate yourself from somebody who points out some flaw that they think you've got in your character and we can justify it, rationalize it, minimize it. You know, we can convince ourselves it's not an issue. But when you get married, you're living with that very same person. It's like you're looking in a mirror every day by looking at them and it refills not only their flaws, but your own flaws. We used to have what we call the I don't want to feeling. And that's where you know you ought to do something for the other person, but you don't want to. And we just kind of made a decision. When we feel the I don't want to feeling, we're just going to kind of like whether we want to or not make a conscious decision to choose to serve the other person rather than ourselves. I had a dream a while back. I'm working on this book called The Jesus Experiment and I've been working on this chapter about how, um, how Jesus served people and specifically you know, how Jesus dealt with status. And when people were fighting for status, he washed their feet. But in this dream, and it wasn't one of those high-definition dreams where everything's clear and vivid It was one of those dreams where no matter how hard you try to focus, you can't. Have you ever had a dream like that where you see a page of a book and you want to read the words, but the words are not in focus? Well, in this instance, somebody was washing another person's feet. Now, because of what I was studying, I'm assuming it was Jesus washing the feet of Peter. But I don't know that for sure. It could have been someone else. But in the dream, the person washing the feet possessed phenomenal beauty. I mean, more beautiful than a sunset. More, more beautiful than, than a person's face. It was, it was just overwhelmingly beautiful. And the person whose feet were being washed, by comparison, really didn't look all that great. And it was a profound dream because when I woke up, all of a sudden, I saw service is beautiful. And whenever Cindy would do something for me, I would say, service is so beautiful. And when I would be tempted not to serve her, I would remember, wait. Service is beautiful. Being served isn't beautiful. But serving is a beautiful thing. And this is what we as husbands need to do. We need to serve our wives. In the same way Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone who is weaker or more delicate since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so your prayers will not be hindered. Now listen, if a man thinks he's connecting with God... Even though he's disconnecting with his wife, he's deceiving himself. Peter is making it clear. If we are not, in fact, living with our wife with sensitivity and understanding, as husbands, we are not walking with God. So he says live with wives in an understanding way. Now, that's the challenge. Understanding women. Maybe you heard the story about this guy was walking along a beach and this bottle washed ashore and he picked it up and popped the cork and all of a sudden you know um, this big smoke image abstract kind of appeared and it was the voice of god that said i'll give you one wish and he said "Well, what happened to the three and the voice said take it or leave it and he said what do you want he says well i would like a bridge from seattle washington honolulu hawaii and i want it to be a tollway and i want to get all the money from the toll and God said, do you have any idea how much concrete and steel that would take? Give me, you wish for something else. And he goes, okay, I want to understand women. And God said, do you want to be that to be a four-lane or a six-lane bridge? <laughs> I found this later. I, I, I think, I think this kind of, uh, illustrates the hang. What is a cat? Cats do what they want. They constantly groom themselves. They're totally unpredictable. When you want to play, they want to be alone. They expect you to cater to their every whim. They're moody. They leave hair everywhere. They drive you nuts and cost an arm and a leg. Conclusion, they're tiny women in little fur coats. Well, that's only half of it. What is a dog? Well, they lie around all day, sprawled on the most comfortable piece of furniture in the house. They constantly scratch themselves. They can hear a package of food being opened a half a block away, but can't hear you in the same room. They can look dumb and lovable at the same time. They growl when they're not happy. And when you want to play, they want to play. When you want to be alone, they want to play. <laughs> they will love you forever if you rub their tummies. They leave their toys everywhere. In conclusion, they're tiny men in little fur coats. Husbands, let me give you a couple tips. Here's how you listen understand your wife. First, learn to listen. And one little coaching tip I give is... Um, when your wife comes to you with a problem, and we as men, whenever whenever women, whenever you come to your husband with a problem, he instinctively wants to fix it. That's the way men are. And we want to fix it, which creates frustration because a lot of the problems Cindy comes to me with, I am not capable of fixing. And somewhere I read about, here's what you do. You ask this question, do you want me to fix it or just listen? Say that with me, guys. Do you want me to fix it or just listen? Once more, do you want me to fix it or just listen? All right? I remember Cindy came to me with a problem and I said, well, do you want me to fix it or just listen? And she said, well, just listen. And she started giving me the problem and going on and on. And I go, wow, that's tough. Oh, wow, honey, I'm sorry. That is difficult. Really? Oh, man, I'm so sorry. And when she finished, she put her arms around me and said, you're great. And I thought, I can do this. All right. And um, a second little hint is this. I don't know if any of you are a sports fan, but let's say you're watching an important game. And it's so important, in fact, you don't want to record it. You don't want to pause it. You don't want to TVO it. You want to watch it. And just as it's in the fourth quarter, your team is behind, but they're catching up. And given a few more minutes, they're going to win the game. And your wife comes into the room. She says, honey, we got to talk. So you're a sensitive guy. You mute the TV. Continue to watch it and listen to her. <laughs> just as your team scores the winning touchdown, you celebrate. And she gets mad and walks out. Say this instead. Now, if she comes in and says the house is on fire, whatever you're doing, stop doing and put out the fire or get out of the house, okay? But ask her this question, okay, honey, is this urgent or can we put it off a few minutes? And almost everything can be put off a few minutes. And what I say to her is this, you know, hon, I want to give you my undivided attention. But I'm really caught up in this game and as soon as it's over, I'll turn off the TV and I'll give you all of my attention. This is so profound, my sons use it with me now seriously, I call them on the phone and they go, you know, Dad, I really want to give you my undivided attention. but I'm kind of focused here. Can I call you back later when I can really listen to what you're saying? I did this with Cindy just the other day. I'm serious. Something came up. I was busy. I was in my office busy. And she came in and started talking to me and really wanted me to listen. I said, honey, I stopped and I said, honey, I want to give you my undivided attention. But I've got to finish what I'm doing first because I'm really distracted. When I'm finished, we'll sit down and talk. And she goes, "Wow, that really does work. Thanks." And it really does work, guys, because it doesn't cut her off. It doesn't show her that you think something is more important than her. But not only do we need to listen to our wives, we need to praise our wives. Song of Songs 1:6, Solomon says, "This is this is the Shulamite. This is his bride, Solomon's bride." Okay, and for years, you know, uh, Bible students thought that the that the uh, Song of Songs was written as a an allegory in which the bride was the church. And the husband was Christ because there was so much, you know, explicit sexual uh, writing in this, in this particular book of the Bible. Well, here's what she says. She says to him, do not stare at me because I am dark. Apparently, you know, she had to work in the vineyards. I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me work in the vineyards. And apparently out back in ancient Israel, the women wanted very white, white skin. And she didn't have white skin. She had a suntan today. We would think, wow, that's great, man. She's been on the beaches. But back then, it was not the way a woman wanted to look. So she felt ugly, just like most women feel flawed. And imperfect. And so, he said this to her Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon, delicate. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. He didn't mean all bumpy and red and swollen like acne. He meant flushed and colorful. Um, Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. And again, he's not saying that her neck looks like it's made out of marble. He's saying it's strong. It was the temple that... that, that it was the, the tower that enabled them to guard the city. It was a symbol of strength. And the fact that the shields of the warriors were on it showed that it couldn't be torn down. And she is a woman of character, and he's praising her for that. Your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle and, and, and that browse among the lilies. And what he's saying here is, you know when you watch puppies play, and you watch puppies play, and you want to go play with the puppies... He's saying, when I watch two fawns that are playing, I want to go play with them. And he's saying to her, you know, your breasts, when I see them, I want to play with them. He's praising her. He's praising her for her beauty. Pray with her. Touch her. And by touch, I mean non-sexual touching. Touching. You know, touching heals the soul and the body. Research indicates that when physicians are making their rounds, if they'll put a hand on the shoulder or the forearm of a patient, they will heal faster. Because the touch releases endorphins and dopamine, the body's natural opiates, causing a sense of sensation and facilitating healing. You see, touch isn't just sexual. Touch heals the soul and the body. And we need to be giving our wives affection. We need to be hugging them like we did when we were courting them. Give them physical affection. So. What about the wives? Well, in first Peter three, one and two, you wives in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of their lies. He doesn't mean that the wife is a you know a stepping stone that the man just walks over and that she does whatever he means. He's really talking about the fact that from the beginning in the garden God created men in essence to subdue the earth. So when men go out into the world, into the marketplace, into the workforce, they really want to conquer, they want to subdue. And oftentimes, we don't feel that successful. But when we come back home and maybe our respect bank is empty and we don't feel we've done that well out out in the world where we're trying to work so hard and provide, and when we come home, this is the place where men need their wife to respect them and honor them and build them and encourage them and lift them up. Here's here's what the Shulamite did with, with Solomon. How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that charge, us, that charge us so? My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among ten thousands. His head is pure as gold, his hair is wavy and black as a raven. In other words, his mind has great value and great insight. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted with jewels. They are bright, but they are gentle. He is intelligent, but he's sensitive. She's praising him both for his character, for his intelligence, for his appearance. She adores him. Respect him in your communication, respect him in private communication. When you're in the home, express to him how much you appreciate his efforts to provide for you, how much you appreciate the little things that he does for you. Now, I gotta tell you, man, I. I tell my wife all the time how fortunate I am to have her. I mean, when I was in seminary, one of the professors said, how would you end up with Cindy? And I said, well, that was just the grace of God. And he said, y'all, but well, what about for her? And you know, there's a sense in which as a husband, I don't ever want her to forget how fortunate I felt that God gave her to me. But I also am thankful to God that she tells me so often how fortunate she feels she is to have me as a husband. That she gives me that encouragement and affirmation. Show him respect in public. When you're in a public setting, if he's telling a story and he misses one of the details, don't kind of like call a timeout and say, excuse me, it wasn't Wednesday night it happened, but Tuesday night it happened. No, it was Wednesday. No, it was Tuesday. You know, you're kind of belittling him in front of other people. It's important in a public setting to show him respect and honor. You've got an issue you want to take up with him, take it up with him in private. But in a public setting, honor him, respect him. And when he withdraws respect... And remember, when men come home, oftentimes they need to go into a cave to withdraw. They need to recharge their batteries. And women oftentimes, when the man withdraws, it makes her feel insecure, like he's leaving her and won't come back. So she chases him into the man cave and she wants to turn off the TV or have him tell her about her day, his day or what happened. And all that causes him to do is pull further away. Think of him as like being on a rubber band. When he comes home, he pulls away and he goes into his man cave, whatever that may be. Leave him there for a while because he's going to be pulled right back to you. Give him that freedom. You know, we as men need to listen. And women need to, at the same time, allow men to have some space so they can recharge their batteries. Now, having said that, guys... It's very important that you know, hon, it's not about us. I just need some space. I just need a little bit of time to decompress here, to be encouraged. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Remember the Lord in all you do, and He will give you success. Now, I mentioned to you earlier our story. It was, that's me and Cindy, Back in the early 1970s. And as I told you about the story, where we reached that place where we were lying in bed, and I asked her, Would you ever marry me again? And she said, No. And she said, Would you marry me? And I said, No way. And it was the first time that we experienced what happened because at our point of deep despair and bitterness, I said, You know, hon, we got to pray. And I don't remember the exact words of our prayer, but it was something like this. Father, we are in a bad place. We are angry and we are bitter and we think we made a huge mistake by getting married to each other. Would you save our marriage? Would you enable us to forgive each other? Would you cleanse us of this ill will that we feel and replace it with love and joy? And I have to tell you, it really was as close to a miracle as we've ever experienced. It was as though the hand of God reached down and broke the dam in each of our hearts and allowed all the ill will and putrid anger to wash away. And he cleansed our hearts and he replaced it with joy. And and I remember we wept and we embraced. And it was so important that that happened when it happened. Because it became for us a a, a milestone, a marker, that for the rest of our marriage, when things were bad, we knew if we would go to God, God would cleanse our relationship. If we would go to God, God would restore our love for one another. And I don't know where you are. I know that if you think you married the wrong person, I'm not suggesting this is going to be a quick fix all of a sudden. But I can tell you, if you're at that place, it can be the beginning of healing your marriage. And if your marriage is strong, it can make it even stronger. Let's pray together. Would you go to God, your head bowed, your eyes closed. And if you're a single person, I, I want to pray for you. I pray, Father, that if their desire is a marriage partner, you would prepare them for that person. And be preparing that person for them. And give them the grace, Lord, to even begin now learning how. To love other people as Jesus wants husbands and wives to love. And if you're at a place where your marriage is on the rocks, I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for the man, the woman, the couple that really think they've married the wrong person, that you would do a supernatural work in their life. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them to grow spiritually. I pray you would encourage the men, Lord, to love their wives, to listen to them, to pray with them, to serve them, and the women to respect their husbands. And I pray, God, that you might do for them this powerful work you did for sending me years ago, and bring supernatural healing to their marriage, that their relationship would be a story for their children, for others, that would give them hope and encouragement. Father, we thank you that you promise in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that if we trust in you and acknowledge you, that you will direct our path. And we pray, Father, that you would do this for the men and the women here today. We ask this for Christ's sake. Amen.